Well, kia ora, everyone, and welcome along to the show. What we're going to do in this episode is hear from a panel which was discussing impact investing. And this came out of a report that I've been helping compile with the Center for Social Impact. So I'll put a link to that in the show notes. But also, before we get into the panel discussion, I thought I'd read out the article that I wrote as an opinion piece for Stuff recently. It's called Impact Investing Presents Opportunity to Back a Better Future Beyond Just Financial Gain. A low interest rate environment gives the opportunity to question past assumptions about returns on investments. Gone are the yields that came from passive term deposits, and this can open up a door to new ways of thinking. Impact investing is growing and represents a more holistic view of the world. The focus is on more than financial return, as these investors are interested in additional measures as well. A report by the Center for Social Impact highlights the state of impact investing in Aotearoa. In it, we set out the ingredients that set impact investing apart and also profile four real-life examples to show this is not just theoretical, it's happening now. The examples show how real financial returns are sought by investors but are measured in more than interest rates. Instead, social, environmental, housing, or other impacts are critical as well. An example is the $100 million set aside for the government's New Zealand Green Investment Finance. Its remit is to accelerate investment in low-emissions projects. Another example is the Tyndall Foundation and their work in Northland with Amakura, a consortium of seven Taitokarao iwi chief executives, to help develop a model of bringing forward investment opportunities which are Maori-owned and led and underpinned by a tikanga framework. These are the types of conversations we need to move from an extractive economy to a more regenerative one. Along these lines, a series of four guides on tikanga-led impact investment have also just been released by The Connective. Still, others are coming to the table in a new way, and not from parts of the finance sector that you might expect. Superannuation funds might be regarded as cautious investors, but for the right investment, that could change too. Recently, Generate KiwiSaver invested $20 million via community finance to support the building of social housing by the Salvation Army. The initial round for that has now finished with a total of $40 million raised. The appeal is simple. There is both financial return coupled with social impact. The best description of impact investing I've heard is by Esther Park, the CEO of Cienega Capital. She describes capital being like heat. If we apply it to a kettle, then the water inside is the project, which gets activated and then transforms into something completely new that wasn't there before. In the same way, impact investing is about applying capital to a project to transform the ecosystem itself into a new state of being. What would really accelerate the growth of this sector? If the government were to embrace the change that impact investment offers, then there is the opportunity for real public-private collaboration to solve our most wicked problems. For example, New Zealand could be a world leader in this if the government were to stand behind and partially guarantee certain qualifying investment categories that provided both financial return and social or environmental impact. There would be other options too, like government investing a smaller percentage in projects to give comfort to others to join. Rather than build back better, perhaps we need to question if we want to go back and return to how things have been. Perhaps this is a chance not just to return to old ways, but to embrace new conceptions, and it will be a shame if we miss it. Many are considering this offshore and talking about the need to take the chance to reinvent capitalism itself. We should wrestle with this question too. New approaches will mean collaborating more and partnering to advance the agenda around critical issues that we all know would help across our society and lift us up together on the same tide. 
Impact investing is not the only solution for our recovery, but it will play an increasingly important role as we question our old assumptions about how investments themselves work. And the byline for that article says, Stephen Moe is a partner at Perryfield Lawyers and an EHF fellow who helped co-author the Impact Investing Report, is chair of Community Finance and hosts Seeds Podcast. So as well as that article, which I'll put a link to in the show notes, around the time of the report release, we also held a panel discussion and had a whole bunch of experts gather for a Zoom call. So we're going to get straight into that content as well. And I do hope you enjoy it. Monica Briggs from the Center for Social Impact sets the scene. Tenakoto, tenakoto, tenakoto kato, call Monica Briggs Tokuingawa. Greetings and a really warm welcome to you all. Thank you so much for joining us and taking this time out of your busy day. Um, and I actually want to start um, this afternoon by acknowledging you, Stephen. Um, your Seeds podcasts are an invaluable source of information for those of us that share your interest in empowering impact. And for those of you who don't know Stephen, his contribution to this co-papa is both personal and professional. Through his work at Parryfield, he advises clients ranging from startup companies to mature tech companies, investors, and social enterprises. And he published a book called Social Enterprises in New Zealand, a legal handbook. And very recently, he collaborated on producing a document around purpose-driven structures for impact entrepreneurs in Aotearoa, New Zealand. So it was a pleasure um, for the Centre for Social Impact, and in particular, our associate, Chloe Harwood, who's joined us today. Um, you know, we were delighted to work alongside Stephen on this latest publication called An Overview of Impact Investing in Aotearoa. It provides a snapshot of how impact investment is evolving and how it is making a difference both here and internationally. It's a really useful contribution to our understanding of the potential for impact investing, particularly in this sort of COVID, post-COVID, COVID reimagining time. And it's very much intended as a guide, particularly for people new to this topic. So we hope it's a useful tool to explain to others what this area is all about. I know I get asked increasingly more these days um, what impact investing is. There are lots of practical resources and links at the end of the short um, document to help guide people who want to learn more about this space. So thank you so much, Stephen and Chloe, for your work on this. And we included four case studies as well to really hear some practical insights on how different organisations are doing this mahi across Aotearoa. Today, we have an opportunity to hear a little more from these organisations as they'll be joining Stephen on the panel the publication wouldn't have been possible without the support from our case study organisations who were the New Zealand Green Investment Finance, Foundation North, Community Finance and the Tyndall Foundation. First, thank you so much for sharing your practical journey and stories in this way with us. So I'll now hand over to Stephen because he'll be facilitating the discussion and he'll be introducing the panel members. So thank you. Uh, kia ora koutou, ko Stephen Toko Ingwa, na ao tātahi ao, and thank you, Monica, for those kind words of introduction. That that was really, um, yeah, nice to hear um, from you, and um, thank you for the chance to collaborate on this paper. Um, it's been a real um, pleasure to work on it the last couple months, and I see Chloe here on the call, so I just want to acknowledge her and all of the work that's gone on behind the scenes. I I don't want to count how many emails we've had back and forth. <laughs> there's um, anything like this. There's a lot of behind the scenes work. So thank you, Chloe, for all that you've done and to CSI for being willing to, to do this collaboration. 
So, right, what we want to do is actually make this quite practical. We want to hear perspectives of people who are involved in this sector and actually um, getting on and, and doing the impact investing. Because um, in previous panels and things, we've kind of talked at a higher level about what is impact investing. But in this case, I'm really hoping we can get into some of the some of the more practical side of things, um, because it's not it's not a theoretical concept. It's actually happening right now. And I think that's, uh, if you take nothing else away, hopefully that will be the message that you get is that this isn't some, you know, new, new thing that has never been done. It's actually happening right now here in Aotearoa, New Zealand. So to do that, we've got some wonderful um, input to be had from several people who are on this call. Um, and what I'm going to do is ask each of them just to really briefly thumbnail sketch the organization that they're from and their role within it. Um, and then we're going to just get into some back and forth discussion. It's going to be very organic. Um, we, we don't have an agenda. We're not trying to cover this or that. And so in that spirit, um, we all know how to use chat functions. So um, if you have a question for a particular person or a bigger picture or a comment, doesn't really matter, um, feel free to use the chat and drop it in. And um, yeah, if it's a specific question for someone, then put their name so that we know who it's for. And we'll be coming, we'll let people speak and then we'll come back to those, um, those questions and, and we'll take it from there. Um, yeah, so we'll just, we'll get underway, and um, because in my screen, Paul is next to me, <laughs> um, Paul Gilbert from Community Finance, do you mind just um, giving an intro to yourself, um, some of the work that you're doing, and the disclaimer I have to give here is that I'm actually the chair of Community Finance, so um, just so people know, I'm involved in that organization as well, but Paul, do you want to um, lead us off, and then we'll just go around, and um, each of you can say a very quick overview intro. Uh, good to see you wearing a tie, Stephen. Thank you for raising the standard for all of us in terms of business attire. Um, uh, so I'm the general manager here at Community Finance. We uh, began a year ago uh, as a direct response to a systemic issue that we saw, particularly initially in the social impact space uh, with regards to the housing crisis, where there was a role and a gap for a financial intermediary to assist with matching ethical money with re registered community housing providers who have uh, a, a very good, strong rec record of, of proven solutions delivery. And so really, the way I describe who we are and what we do as an organization is a village wine press or a communal asset, where we are simply assisting the known reputable registered community housing providers at this stage to get access to low-cost construction finance on terms that work for them to increase the supply of affordable housing. So that's our first project that we're up and running with. Uh, it's a social impact project initially, but we will be very move, moving very shortly into the environmental space also. Great. Thank you so much. And um, maybe, um, Rangi Marie, do you mind um, giving a little intro? And uh, I, I'm really hoping as well that we get some input from you on the papers which have come out, which have been really helpful from the connective. Um, can you give us a little overview of yourself? Thank you. Right. Kia ora koutou, ko rangi māri e tōku i ngoa, he uri a hau o te ate haunui a paparangi whakatohia me ngai tāki tōrere. So, um, kia ora everyone, I'm rangi māri e, and um, from down the Whanganui River and out to the east coast, 
um, towards Apotiki, but I'm actually sitting here in Paradise, which is just uh, north of Whangarei. Um, so I'm the um, one of the principals of the Connective, and I guess what the Connective is is actually we're systems activists, um, and what we're um, passionate about is affecting um, systems change and the mindsets of people with the way that they choose to invest their effort and time in a way that actually supports the growing, growing an economy or community that serves thriving ecosystems. Um, and societies that are just and resilient and inclusive. So um, in a nutshell, uh, that's what we do. Um, but yes, Stephen's right, we've recently just released um, tikanga-led um, uh, guides to impact investing, and that comes off work that we've um, that I've done previously um, with Paitokero Iwi. Um, but really the point of those guidelines is really to support um, is to support the body of practice um, on impact investing, but investing specifically so that it supports better um, investment decision making um, because there's a better understanding of the balance between financial, social, environmental and cultural values. So, um, kia ora everyone. Kia ora, thank you, Rangi Maria. And if, if you do nothing else, can I encourage you to download the papers that, that are mentioned because I found them really, really helpful. And in fact, I think Koi and I were really relieved when they came out um, because they dealt with this subject so well in terms of tikanga-led investment that we, we had uh, thought, how are we going to do this in our paper? And fortunately, they came out. So we were able to just have, if you look in there, we've just got a cross-reference over to say, look, here's where you need to go for this. So I was really pleased about that. Um, I think um, we'll turn now, Liam, um, do you mind giving us an overview from you? Thank you. No, not, not at all. Core uh, Liam Sheridan Toku Ingoa. I, I know quite a number of people on the call, so great to see you again. Um, I should say that um, on page 10 of the um, CSI publication is um, the case study that's been prepared by my colleague Eve Jolly, who um, is really the driving force of impact investment in the foundation. Um, and I certainly um, acknowledge her, who she isn't here today, but I acknowledge all the work she's done. I mean, very briefly, we've sort of gone on a bit of a journey from a couple of years ago, we were at Foundation North, we were we decided, and I'm sorry, I said this in the last of these teleconferences, and it is a bit of a cliche, that we should be using our balance sheet as well as our income and expenditure account to um, uh, to to do the work that we want to do. And Chloe Harwood, who's one of the authors of the report, was instrumental in, in that sort of pivot. And we've had some good learnings along the way, and I also acknowledge Yanti, who helped us um, we in what we described at the time as a scout role, trying to um, find some um, opportunities. And there were some very good learnings there about the, um, and maybe Yanti would like to comment later, but about the difficulties and the challenges of um, building the pipeline for impact investing. But we do say that we're a learning organisation. And so we did have some good good learnings from that. Um, other than that, I'll probably refer you um, to Eve's case study. It's a great summary of 
where we've got to currently, we are looking um, to um, work with the connective to set up um, a fund which will incorporate the indigenous approaches that Rangi Mario mentioned um, and to, importantly for us, will also incorporate some of the key focus areas that Foundation North has for its granting activities. So we hope that one will complement the other. But happy, happy to discuss any aspect of that. Great, thank you. And yeah, a big acknowledgement to the people who contributed to the paper, who did, provided the case studies, but aren't able to make the call. So John McCarthy from Tyndall Foundation was um, uh, the one who provided us that content, but wasn't able to make this particular um, timing of the call. Um, last up, Jenny, um, if you don't mind giving an overview, that'd be great. Kia ora, Stephen, can you hear me? Hi everyone, uh, my name is Jenny Lackey and I'm Head of Communications for New Zealand Green Investment Finance. Um, originally, uh, as a policy initiative, we were the Green Investment Fund, but now we've been established as a, a Crown-owned uh, private company um, established by the Crown to accelerate investments in um, New Zealand's low-carbon future. Um, as an organisation, we've been in uh, the investment market uh, for about a year and we have um, three investments that are intended to demonstrate to the financial markets in particular what is possible in low carbon investment and what is possible I can talk more about, but really as a company we have four key objectives. Um, obviously we are trying to uh, make investments that accelerate emissions reductions. Um, and that can be both uh, things that directly reduce emissions, but also things that enable uh, New Zealand's decarbonisation journey. So we've got quite a broad mandate there. Uh, we, we have to invest on a commercial basis and get a return. Uh, and we want to unlock private capital um, and finally show the market uh, what's possible. So uh, very climate focused, um, unlike many of you that have um, a broad mandate, but uh, we've got a big enough problem to solve. Oh, that's great. Thank you. Well, I think we will come back to you because I'm really curious about some of the investments that you've made and just the process of how you've found what to invest in, you know, because um, there's multiple I, I guess the thing is there's multiple impacts that you're seeking, isn't it? It's not just financial return, it's some other outcomes as well. So what we're gonna do is have a discussion now and we're gonna go on different tangents and different topics. So feel free to put in questions into the chat. But before we get into that, I'd just like to ground it a little bit by turning back to you, Rangi Marie. And if it's okay, um, can you just outline some of the key points from your perspective um, that came through in your report um, just from a Tikanga led impact investment, I think people on the call would be really curious about that. And I know, um, yeah, I would certainly be interested to hear some of your perspective of, you know, summarizing some of the key things, if that's okay. Yeah, sure. Um, I guess what would help um, to start with then, um, Stephen, is just to sort of understand the whakapapa of why um, uh, we chose to um, embark upon creating this um, impact investment platform that they have, um, which was Te Pairotika. Um, and um, a lot of that actually came from the fact that um, I guess we look at the world in a different way. And our decisions are, are driven by um, 
values that have been handed down to us and and ancestral wisdom that's thousands of years old. And um, despite what's happened in the last 200 years, um, it's it's part of our DNA um, and part of what identifies what good looks like for us um, if we are to determine what success as Māori looks like. So that's sort of where it came from. And um, uh, with our economic growth strategy that we had put out, we were finding it really difficult to have investment conversations. And um, these tikanga-led um, uh, impact investment guidelines are actually not just about impact investment, it's just about how Māori invest. This is how we look at the world, is that we understand that everything is interconnected. Um, and, and that nothing exists on its own, so that we understand there is a symbiotic relationship between people and the planet and people between each other. And it's about um, articulating and looking at everything in the world um, based around that sort of understanding. So the reason why um, we went uh, shifted to... Um, create Te Pai or Te Kau Te Taitokero, which is what Transforming Taitokero for Good, the impact investment platform is called nowadays. And I must give a big mihi to um, Jody Kirikere Tabua, who is the CEO. And I've stepped away from that role about six months ago. But our decision to do this was driven by this. And this, is, I think, are really good principles around if we're doing um, impact investment around the environment or around, and you're wanting to drive social good and so forth, as well as have it wash its face or to return commercial value, is that um, we wanted to shift away from Māori being the end users or beneficiaries of this investment to actually being the co-owners or co-investors. Um, we wanted to shift away from um, investment where the programs were being done to our community rather than being done by our community or done by Māori. Um, we wanted to move away from a footprint or fingerprints that were exploitative and exclusionary to ones that were inclusive and revolved around the well-being as Māori. Um, we wanted to move away actually from carbon zero um, and beyond that to regeneration. And that lines up with our kaitiakitanga responsibilities. And then we also wanted to move away from the fact that a lot of these investments have short-term and limited impact to ones that have intergenerational and large-scale impact. So they needed to be transformative. And also to move away from siloed or poorly targeted approaches to ones that considered the whole, a whole of systems approach. And it leveraged really the, the, um, the goodness that sits inside most ecosystems. Everybody's trying to do really good stuff, but we're all operating in silos. And it's about taking a more collaborative approach so that everybody's leveraging the good of a joined up and blended investment along a pipeline of goodness that you're basically creating in order to be transformative. So, um, and that really is what um, led us to create the platform. The guidelines are really um, uh, how we were initially were to support uh, other Māori or iwi organisations take their, their tikanga or what's their, their values and what's important to them to define what good looks like. And then how do you translate that and, and embed it and normalise it across the whole DNA um, of your strategic vision, um, your vision, the investment decisions that you make, your execution and how you measure it. Um, because sometimes most of your good ideas set up as 
bold visions and everyone just gets on with their work and practice actually hasn't changed. So tikanga, a lot of that also has to do with actually the behavioural and the mindset change that needs to happen and the accountability at the end of that to actually be honest about whether or not you you delivered on what you're after. So those are the kind of um, the rationale behind those guidelines and just sort of supporting um, that kind of discipline inside iwi Māori organisations. But the other part of that too is an understanding that the ecosystem would love to engage on uh, and, and, and actually take advantage of this knowledge that's available for or New Zealand, that's an Aotearoa intellect. Um, and so just to get an initial understanding of that, um, that you might want to, you know, um, um, pick up or build understanding um, if you are impact investors and designing funds and doing good stuff, yeah. That's really great. Thank you so much. And um, we've we've done another one of these before, and that was the thing that came that the, the point that really stuck with me was the fact that this is not something new. You know, from from a Te Ao Māori perspective, it's it's been about kaitiakitanga and stewardship, and um, I think there's a lot that that we can learn. Um, I'd like to turn, if it's okay, to Liam um, and just ask you because we've heard that grounding there um, from from Rangi Maria's perspective, but I am really curious about you and particularly Foundation North, which is a large a, a large entity. Um, how has it been in terms of um, shifting gears or shifting focus to move from maybe a traditional role of grants and, you know, and getting funds out to groups that way to having a different conception around, well, we could do impact investing. Because I think I see you as a leader in this. And I think if others can look to you and say, well, if they can do it, we can do it. So I'm, I'm just curious about your, your journey there. Uh, if you could describe it a little bit. Thank you. Yeah, I mean, they're, they're very kind words and I, you know, accept them graciously. Although I would, I mean, I would refer people to Bay Trust as well, who um, on a somewhat smaller scale than we've got planned have been doing impact investing for some years now, primarily in the, primarily in the housing um, market, but nevertheless they have. So great to um, acknowledge Alistair Rhodes. I mean, I guess... The reality is, and Chloe of all people will will acknowledge this, it, we have had a lot of conversations over a very long period about the um, the concept of impact investing. And I know, I mean, I've been at the organisation for four years, but I know that the conversations have gone on before that time. And, I mean, to be honest, um, Society, somebody earlier mentioned the context around us. Society has changed as well. And so trustees and others have watched what's going on around them, around the world, um, in other parts of the country. And and it, it starts to become normalised, the idea that you can do good with your investing portfolio as, as, well, as, as well as grants. And so... There is a, but however, not wanting to break the um, the link between the two. I mean, we do have a sort of a, a presumption, although not not absolutely obligatory, that you know the focus areas for impact investing should be the same focus areas for um, that we grant. So 
improved social equity, social inclusion for um, um, marginalised groups, whoever they may be. Now there were there they can and will be um, exceptions to that, but I mean we really felt, for example, that the Salvation Army bond, you know, was the um, a great um, something that really strongly linked our grant in and the, the the investment concept. And I think in her commentary in the, in the publication, Eve commented that the Salvation Army has also been a grantee of the foundation in the past so it, it, I don't think it's something that you can never having discussed it before I don't think it's something that you can take to your governors one day and just expect them to um, I guess see the light overnight you know you do need to um, do the groundwork uh, and especially if, as in our case, we have made a deliberate policy to take a sort of concessionary return in terms of what our expectations are um, for our impact investing. And we acknowledge that not everyone takes that approach and ours is, wouldn't necessarily be the right way to go for for all parties. So... Um, I guess in some ways we're fortunate to have the ability to take that longer term perspective and appreciate that not everybody can. I hope that's been helpful. Yeah, I think, I think it is helpful. And the point that I'm really trying to make is, and you're absolutely right, there's, there's others out there who've done impact investing and we acknowledge them, but also just the process to go from not having done it to doing it. I think it's really helpful to hear those stories um, to be able to then encourage others. And I know there's a lot out there who have funds in term deposits where they're making nominal amounts of interest rates and the profits are going to Australian banks. And yeah, well, we made a, so we made a, we, we have, just as a bit of background, we have made a 2% allocation to impact investment from our investment portfolio. So as things stand, that's about $30 million. And we made a deliberate decision based partly on advice again from Alistair Rhodes well why don't you take it from your cash allocation which is returning as you have correctly said Stephen and um, you know pretty pretty poor pretty low returns so there can be no question that in putting money into impact investment the trustees are in any way breaching their fiduciary duties in fact if if the returns work as low as the target is if the returns work as expected, it will still be better than the, the cash allocation from which the funds have been taken. So, you know, and things like that do need to be carefully thought through. Um, and once again, I acknowledge Alistair for his guidance on that. Mm. Oh, that's really helpful. Thank you. So I, I'm going to turn to Jenny in a minute just to hear another perspective of an investor and, and how they go about finding deals. But before Jenny, just Paul, I'm curious about your perspective because um, you, you received funds from Foundation North. So just hearing that perspective from Liam, can you give us your perspective as one of the, I guess, one of the entities that's been involved in facilitating that? Like what are some yep. of the things that you're seeing? 
Yeah, it's been a really rich experience throughout the last 12 months, and we've actually seen quite significant movement within and development of the market within the, those those 12 months since we started out. So where we really began the journey with the first product, which was the $40 million raise for the Salvation Army Community Bond, we really kick-started that with the traditional philanthropic trusts and foundations where there was a predisposition to impact first and, and uh, uh, an allowance within the existing structures in terms of SIPOs or, or deeds of, of trusts to allow that sort of activity. And what we've seen as we've progressed um, from those initial investors who, who really tried to catalyze and activate the market by going in first is a growing movement across what one could consider um, some of the more ultra-conservative um, uh, manifestations of trust and such like. So we're doing a lot of work, for example, with um, church property trustees. We had a group in the office this morning. Uh, and, and it's really interesting because they typically are, are perhaps more down the conservative end of the spectrum and they're more constrained by their trust deeds and by their SIPOs and have less leeway within which to operate in terms of stepping into the impact investment space. And so as part of another working group that I'm on, one of the things we've been doing is testing that legally and getting legal opinions on that. So how far can you push your SIPO or your existing structures before you are deemed to be stepping outside of, of, of the safe lanes of fiduciary duty? And the number that seems to have been landed on most commonly is around 5% at this point in time, so, um, which is interesting. And so we're leaning hard into that, uh, particularly in the church context where, the, you know, just in the three big uh, traditional churches, there's 10 billion in assets in New Zealand, for example. And they're saying we want to do more, but we're constrained by our own rules and our own deeds and our own investment statements and such like. Can you help us expand the definition of fiduciary duty to align with our mission and vision and purpose. And so what we've seen happen is growth and a widening of the definition of fiduciary duty, which is really exciting. And what has happened in parallel with that is the flow of capital. And so then more recently, as many of you will be aware, uh, you know, thanks Liam, because the journey through Foundation North was observed by a number of players, particularly in the market, and they were like, oh, that's interesting, Foundation North as a big player is in. And then through other relationships, that's unlocked the scale of the investment market, which uh, manifested in over $20 million investment from a KiwiSaver fund. So that was the first major institutional investment. And that was out of their fixed interest allocation. So within their portfolio of 1.8 billion, they had a, an allocation for fixed interest and uh, they allocated some of that fixed interest into this impact investment, which was interesting because it got them a better financial return than they were getting on other things. So it was a, a triple win for everybody, including the, the households who now have homes because they were homeless before. So really interesting, just in 12 months to see quite a shift both in the philanthropic impact first market, but also in the commercial market. And obviously the prevailing market conditions with interest rates being so low has helped us enormously in terms of getting momentum into the impact investment space that we're operating in. 
That's really helpful. Thank you. Um, I don't know if it, I think it's public, isn't it? The Anglican um, Impact Investing Report, Paul? Maybe if it is, yeah. you, could, you could put it in the chat maybe because that's, that's a really yeah. good, interesting, just for the people on the call, they may not have heard that perspective from a, I guess, a religious perspective that because mm -hmm. it goes into a lot of detail, you know. Yep. Happy to share. Cool. That would, I think people would find that really helpful because obviously, as you point out, there's several billions <laughs> that is um, that is in bank accounts and property and various other things. Um, yeah, no, that's helpful. And and just to um, just in case people are curious, that forty million dollars that first round is now finished with the Salvation Army. So what we're doing at Community Finance is looking to actually go out now to regions and seeing if there's partic particularly regions that we could do smaller. Um, funds and um, partner with local people. So, for example, in Christchurch or in Waikato or wherever it might be. So, yeah. All right. Well, Jenny, I'd really be keen on your perspective um, coming as somebody, you know, because you're actually going out, you've actually made some significant investments. Um, yeah, just feel free to take this question wherever you want to go. Um, open question. Um, how has that been in terms of finding projects? And yeah, uh, curious to hear from you. Thank you, Stephen. Um, I guess I'll, I'll take the opportunity to do a bit of a, a storytelling piece on, on NZGIF. So, um, as I've said, we have those four objectives, um, emissions, you know, getting a commercial return, um, crowding in private capital and, and showing the markets what, what's possible. And within that, we have uh, a huge amount of flexibility to act as a, a direct investor in the climate change space. So the ability to invest you know, debt, equity or, or hybrids of um, and other financial instruments, uh, whatever sort of uh, suits us at the time. Um, so our first year was about um, getting into the market, establishing a market presence. And we have five very clear target sectors. Um, you may be aware that New Zealand's emissions profile is very different from those offshore. So offshore green banks are largely sort of debt financing renewables, but we have the mandate to look at, you know, transport, um, the built environment, agriculture, um, uh, process heat's a big problem in New Zealand, coal use. So some of those areas are more advanced than others, you know, technologically. So I'll describe our, our three current investments because I think it demonstrates the flexibility of what we're able to achieve in this market. And really what we're looking at now that we've made these early investments is scaling them up. So um, if you've read the case studies, you'll see that our first investment was uh, a 15 million uh, green credit facility for Centreport, Wellington's port here. And that's, you know, as far as investment goes, um, incredibly vanilla. But what it enabled Centreport to do was to accelerate their um, low carbon activities. Um, post the Kaikoura earthquake in 2016, the port was damaged and they've got $600 million to spend on regeneration. But they wanted to also do low carbon stuff and our credit facility enables that stuff to be sped, sped up. So they've done some electric vehicles, which I can't wait to see. They're, they'll be on the ground in January. Um, they've done a road to rail project, which takes, you know, thousands of truck trips off the Rimatuckers. Um, so benefits, not just emissions, but in terms of road safety and sort of social license to operate in the port. So they're telling us that it's been really important to their staff to be um, part of a low carbon business. 
our next investment was an equity investment in a, a tiny Internet of Things business in New Zealand, um, basically as growth capital. Um, people ask me, how does an Internet of Things provide or reduce emissions? But what it does, it's called Thinkstra, it enables people with assets to very cheaply and um, efficiently track their assets, and that results in much less um, transport trips. So the example I like to use is um, uh, Christchurch City used to um, uh, furnish a small community with water through water trucks, and they basically just sent the trucks out on, um, on a rotation. Uh, now they know when the tanks need filling, and they've reduced their truck transport, uh, over to Akaroa by 50%. So we're excited about the multiple sectors where, you know, asset owners can track their assets and reduce the need to send people and trucks out to service them. And then the third is, is um, a hybrid investment. So um, we've made an equity investment in a holding company that has two subsidiaries. Um, one is called carbon check them out if you're a fleet owner they do fleet optimization and um, transition to electric vehicle planning they'll assist a fleet owner to do that effectively and also get their people comfortable with electric vehicles and then on the other side is sustainable fleet finance where we've given a five million dollar debt facility for them to finance um, and actually own electric vehicles for fleet owners so hopefully those kinds of opportunities demonstrate sort of what's possible and, and the listeners, there's lots of stuff to do out there, especially in climate. Oh, that's, that's very helpful. Thank you. Um, yeah, I, I think what I'd like to do now is open it up to the panelists to give us some comments um, on basically anything that you want, but maybe thinking about some of the challenges, some of the hurdles, um, some of the learnings that you've had in getting into this area, because the point of this call is really um, not all of us have been involved in this sector. So it's really want to keep it practical and, um, and, and proactive and helpful for people who are listening either on the call or, or watching the video um, later. Um, and also if you are here, feel free to put questions into the chat as well. I, I see we've got a few comments there. Um, Paul, thank you for putting the link into the, the Anglican Church document and Lina, thank you for your comment as well. And Liam, that's a question that you've put in. So um, yeah, but does do any, any of you panelists, do you, do you have any other, I guess, really broadly speaking, any thoughts or comments for people listening um, about how you found it in terms of impact investing and what other people might need to know or want to know? I'd love to back up John McCarthy's comment in the report if, um, in the sense that he, he said this, this is already happening, let's bust the myth that impact investment is, is, is something that's not actually already happening because certainly although we've started off in the social impact space as community finance, we are absolutely overwhelmed with beautiful mana enhancing project opportunities across the whole of Aotearoa there is no shortage of investment opportunities uh, and it's really just matching the money up with those opportunities that, that is the key task for us at this point in time. So I just wanted to sort of shout out to, 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 to and, and um, support the point that John made in his report. Stephen, I guess I could leap in here and, and um, absolutely endorse what Paul said. Um, even though we have a slightly different lens on investment, we're experiencing the same thing and I guess what NZGIF is here to do is, is join those dots. Um, there's no lack of will, but 
um, you know, people have narrow mandates on the investment side and struggle sometimes to match up what their what their goals are or their um, desire to invest with the with the investees who similarly don't necessarily know how to package up their opportunities for the investment market. So we're experiencing not a, a dearth of opportunities, but just a, perhaps a mismatch between the investment community and the opportunities. Um, and it's really about joining those dots. Um, and at the moment, those dots are being joined by, you know, building relationships and, and talking to people in the, in the investment community. Um, I wondered if I could jump in here too. Um, I guess one of the learning things, one of the learning points that we've made, and this actually um, builds on the point that Paul made around it being money enhancing, is that if we are actually um, designing funds and their purpose is to create social or environmental value or cultural value as well as um, as well as commercial value, a consideration to make is that when you're actually designing those funds, that you're actually not designing in the systemic barriers that are actually perpetuating the problems you're actually trying to resolve in the first place. And to be really intentional and, and, and hold the mirror to yourself about whether or not you're actually designing out those very behaviours that have made it difficult for those communities to access the investment that they're after. The other mindset change, I would, and maybe it's a provocation, is this. And it comes actually from that link you've just sent through, um, Paul. Thank you very much. And I'm going to um, take one of the, the quotes that are on there, that money is not morally neutral. It can do harm and it can do good. And that's the same by um, Archbishop Justin Welby. And when we're talking about impact investment and that, you know, if we're just carving off a little bit um, to, you know, to have a go at impact investment, consider what you're doing with the remainder of your investment. You're actually asking a, a little piece of money to do far more work than, you, than you're actually asking the bulk of your money to do. And, and, and ask yourself this question, which one's going to be far more commercial? The one that can actually provide you this sort of level of financial return and all of these other benefits, or one that just washes its face? Um, because those are the sorts of um, accountability measures that we have as Māori about whether or not we've actually been responsible with the resources that we've been given the stewardship over for the lot time, for the season we are, that they're in our hands sort of thing. And so that's kind of the mind shift or the challenge that I guess the provocation I'm putting out here about what's actually really commercial, what's actually delivering, you know, value across the whole spectrum. Um, and, and maybe that's the challenge we need to have about mainstreaming this kind of principled way of using money. Yeah. That's great. I love those provocations. <laughs> it's, um, it's so important. And actually, that's one of the reasons that we did the report, why we're doing a call like this, because we actually want to have these discussions to get people thinking. Because I completely agree with you. What if we weren't talking about 1% or 2%? What if we were talking about 50% or 70%? You know, like it would just be such a big game changer if there's no lack of projects that we know will have social impacts, then, you know, we need to change the vocabulary. And hopefully COVID has taught us that we can do things differently and that we could actually move forward quicker than we had thought. 
my big fear is that build back better becomes we build back to what we have always been. And in fact, this is the perfect opportunity to embrace new conceptions and new ways of doing things. So yeah, thank you. I really appreciate your, your insights and words. Um, yeah. So pop any questions in the chat. Um, if there's not lots of questions, that's fine. Um, I think this has been a really helpful session just to talk about things. Um, do any of you panelists have any other thoughts uh, that you'd like to share? Any, any, Liam, you haven't spoken again since you first chatted. If, if you have anything to say, and that you're welcome to. Oh, um, no, no, I mean, the, the provocation is um, maybe possibly directed at Foundation North, and that, that's fine. I mean, the one thing I would say is that we're just, um, we're finding our way. I mean, I mean, one thing that might actually be worth mentioning is that when we put the uh, 2% recommendation up to our trustees, they were um, very keen to double it immediately. So, I mean, I think there is a will and an openness um, in the world, even at, um, even at um, community trusts, dare I say it. So people do recognise the responsibilities that they have and um, are keen to my sense of our trustees and others is that they are keen to fully participate. Liam, Liam um, not, not, not aiming at you at all, actually. It was interesting. The conversation this morning, just, just to give some context, was targeting church trustees. Uh, yeah. and, and it was themselves, it was them targeting themselves. Just so you know, one of the authors of that report, which I've shared, is John Whitehead, who was the head of the New Zealand Treasury for many years. And he's one of the leaders in this space because he's also the chairman of the Wellington Diocesan Trust Board. And so he's, he's leading the charge in terms of testing those parameters um, to try and transform his own organisation from within. Yes, it's very interesting. I mean, I'm sure most of, when I look at the names on the call, I'm sure most of us will have seen David Carrington speak on his um, various... Yes trips to New Zealand and of course he's done so much or he and his colleagues of course have done so much work on this issue of um, fiduciary responsibilities and you know has almost flipped it on its head in a way in terms of if you if you if you're not looking at this stuff now then actually arguably you're 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 then in breach of your your duties and that actually, that was one of the questions, and it may have been missed. I was, um, and the same challenge is open to the five percent. But Paul, I was wondering if that figure of five percent has been influenced in any way um, by the new Trusts Act, or whether. Um, yeah, so that's the that's the piece of work that's ongoing, which John Whitehead is is, is tracking closely as part of the small working group that wrote that report. Um, there's been no sort of fixed determination yet. But there's a growing body of case law across the Commonwealth uh, that is relevant to this space that we're discussing in terms of um, the redefinition of mission-aligned or, or, or purpose-aligned fiduciary duty um, along the lines of um, the, the, the sort of stuff that David Carrington and, and, and um, it's big society capital, isn't it? Or, yeah. yeah um, the, the, the lead that they've been sort of taking from the UK perspective. Um, so... Uh, watch this space. Um, I think it's 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 going to be a case law development, but certainly a, a, a growing number of people leaning really hard into that. In, yeah, in the... oh, that's great. Yeah, well, that's really good. Well, 
thank you everybody for contributing. And I think, yeah, I don't mean to target anybody. It's more of a bigger picture thing. It's more of a one day, wouldn't it be nice if we didn't, you know, people will watch this video maybe in 10 or 20 years and go, they were so at the beginning stages. And I think for Koei and I, um, because we did a, quite a bit of work organizing, it's like our intent is that this document that we help prepare will become outdated very quickly because it will just be mainstreamed and people will, of course, what you invest in will have positive impacts with it. You know, it's, it, and so I guess what we're hoping is that we have this new conception of reality, which embraces things like social enterprise and benefit corporations. And it's all symptoms to me of a bigger paradigm shifts of thinking that are going on and moving us forward. So this call is an example of one particular area that we're talking about, but actually it's, it's happening across many different things. And, you know, if you go to employ a new graduate and you get to the end of the interview, they're probably not going to ask you, do I get a company car? They're probably going to ask you, how is my work going to have meaning or impact in the world, which I take real, a lot of heart from. Um, we're actually quite lucky because we got somebody on the, uh, on the video who I know separately um, uh, named Lina Green, and she's been doing a lot of work in restorative finance. So I just messaged her briefly and said if she would mind um, giving us her perspective. So she's not based here in New Zealand. Um, and I, since she's on the call, I think it would be really interesting to hear her perspective. So Lina, I'll just pass it over to you to briefly introduce yourself and, and just give us a comment to provoke us to think about another aspect of what we're talking about. Thank you very much, Stephen. Yeah. So um, I, I run an organization called Angels of Impact and um, have been in this area of impact investing. And I just wanted to say that, um, Rang Mary, what you had presented is actually very cutting edge. Um, people who've been, uh, one book I'd strongly recommend everybody read, uh, two books actually. One is uh, Winner Takes All from Anand Giridas, who basically uh, shows you that impact investing is broke when it comes to systemic change issues. It perpetuates racism and structural racism. Uh, the other one is Decolonizing Wealth, a uh, book by Edgar Villanueva. He's a Native American. And this thinking is catching up now, um, so much so that impact investing is now being challenged as to whether or not it is the right thing. So here, if you have a model that Rangi Murray is already putting forward, uh, the equivalent model that's happening in the US is a model of restorative finance uh, being promoted by Nwamaka Akbo, and she, I, I gave the link on the site too. Um, and restorative finance is actually going at the systemic issues. And therefore you're looking at all, you're digging a little deeper. Who's the money flowing to? How's the money flowing? What are the terms? Are the terms extractive? Is the metric determined by the community or the investor? So you're going very much deeper. And those questions that Rangi Mary asked, you know, like if only a small percentage is for impact investing, what's happening on the other money, right? So it really questions it. And it sounds to me that if you have models that are developing using a Maori methodology, you actually have an opportunity to be leading the space in thinking and, and just, I would strongly recommend, please don't use the word impact investing if you can. Uh, <laughs> so that's just me. <laughs> oh, that's great. Thank you. Yeah, it's wonderful to hear different perspectives. And I know that you've been involved uh, around the world. So it's good to have that insight. So um, we've been getting to know each other through something called the Edmund Hillary Fellowship, um, which is bringing together um, 
actually hundreds of entrepreneurs, investors, and people from across the world all focused on Aotearoa and making change here that will be an example to the rest of the world. Um, so yeah, it's, it's a really cool initiative um, and I'm glad that you could share a little bit with us. Um, Lana, thank you for that. So I think what we'll do is finish up, um, but what I would like to encourage you to do is to keep your eye out, watch out for further things. Um, I know there's different people writing things out there. If you're not aware, there's the Impact Investing Network, which is a New Zealand-based um, group. Um, and I think David Woods is, is on or has been on um, involved in that. And um, there's the point is that there's quite a lot going on in this area here in Aotearoa. And the more that we can network and talk across silos and make sure that we're hearing perspectives so that, you know, that, that Jenny maybe would, would catch up with Paul, you know, about because we've got housing focus and we've got, you know, green investment focus. And we'll actually maybe we're talking about the same thing anyway. <laughs> so um, I just encourage us on this call to really connect with each other, resource each other, support each other. Um, I know th there's a relatively small number on this call, but I view you, each of you as catalysts within your organizations, within society itself, to help usher in this sort of new way of, of thinking. And, and this is just one example. Um, so yeah, encourage you, if you're not connected, get out and, and connect with some of these organizations. Um, Thank you, David. Yeah, um, John McCarthy, who contributed to the papers on the, the advisory board and Rangi Marie and David are as well. So I know they're putting out materials. Um, the other thing, um, this is a, just a selfish request, but a paper like that one that brought you to this call, um, it's a lot of work to put those together. And then it's quite a lot of work to get out further. So if you would be willing to take the link and post about it or share it with other people, um, that would be great because uh, as we know, hopefully it's something that's of benefit to people and um, certainly we will tell our networks, but we don't know the people that you know. I know this is really obvious, but sometimes I feel like it's good to at least have made the ask. So um, if you're willing to post about it on LinkedIn or, or other platforms, then we can help and again, the purpose of the paper was to educate people who really have no concept of what it is that we're talking about and giving them practical case studies to say, yes, this is actually happening. Um, yeah. And I will be um, posting the audio um, up uh, later as a video. And so you'll be able to um, share that as well, because I think this has been a really deep conversation and I'll try and put it out as a seeds episode as well. Um, and that's an initiative that um, Monica mentioned at the start that I've now done 231 episodes, all focused on this, what could the world look like, interviewing entrepreneurs and kind of thought leaders across New Zealand. So um, if you're, yeah, it'd be great to, um, if you're interested, explore the back catalog because there's a lot of content there now. Um, yeah. And I just want to say thank you to all of the panelists. We really appreciate your insights. You know, it's a Friday afternoon and we, we know you took time out to do this. So thank you to Paul, Jenny, Rangi Marie, Liam, and um, also to Laina for jumping in there as well. And thank you to Monica. Thank you to CSI for all the support in pulling the paper together. And hope you have a good rest of your day and a great weekend. So thanks, everybody. <laughs>